This is a selection of readings from Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom calls aloud outside she raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses, at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. This is God's word. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. And as you're turning there, I wanna ask a question. Has anyone done anything stupid that they regret besides me? Anybody? Yeah, I think we all have, right? And if you're old enough, you could tell mom today at dinner or lunch, right? Like I used to hop on the back of train cars to go to school. And at a certain age, I could tell my mom that, you know, it, she wouldn't freak out anymore because it was over. But uh, I want to tell you the dumbest thing I've ever done. And then I'm going to tell you the dumbest thing I've ever heard somebody else has done, okay? So this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard someone else do. There's actually a man who was banned from staying at hotels literally across the United States and the world. They actually have lists like that. And here's why. He was a pepperoni salesman, and he was in Europe, and he had a suitcase of pepperoni, and it got a little moist, and he thought he'd dry it out, so he opened the windows in his hotel. Now, in Europe, there are no screens there, and he put the suitcase there, thought it would dry out, and he went off to a two-hour meeting. He comes back, and the scene can only be described this way. There were 40 seagulls in his room. He said it was a mixture of flapping wings, bird excrement, saliva, and pepperoni pizzas all over the place. Now, it was spicy pepperoni, so these seagulls were really going at it, right? Now, it gets worse. He kind of gets a towel, and he gets all the seagulls out of the room, but he's got another meeting. The last seagull won't leave, so he kind of kicks him out, and his shoe flies off the balcony. Now he's got one shoe. He goes into the bathroom to clean up, turns the hairdryer on, dries his hair. When he leaves the bathroom, the hairdryer falls into the sink and shorts out all the light in the room. He now gets dressed in the dark. He has one shoe. He, he steps on excrement, and he walks out to his meeting. That's really, really dumb, isn't it? Okay, let me get to the dumbest thing I've ever done. We were in the Bronx on a missions trip. We had two vans. We were going to dinner. The day of ministry was over. So we pulled into a parking lot where you have to go to the meter, buy the ticket, and put it in the dash. So I thought, let me buy it for both vans. And so I put our van in park. Everybody got out. 
walked over to the meter, bought both tickets. When I turned around, my van with no one in it was just moving out of the parking lot. And I watched it crash right into a lady, poor lady, who was on her way home from work. Now, it was funny when the cop arrived. He's like, who's in charge here? I'm like, me. And he said, uh, could you please turn the engine off? I said, officer, that's the problem. The keys are in there. He goes, well, please turn it off. I said, well, there's another problem. It's locked. And then he said, well, uh, can you tell me who the driver was? I said, that's another problem. Nobody was driving it. And the guy just looked at me and threw up his hands and never even wrote us a ticket. Later that night, we had devotions in the bottom of this giant house. There's like 30 of us. And no lie, I went down the steps and hit my head on the basement steps like a thud. And one of the girls on the trip said, Pastor Bob, you're really having a bad day. Gosh. So we've all done dumb things, right? Thankfully, there is a book in the Bible, wisdom literature, called the book of Proverbs, where if I could give you the entire synopsis, it's this. Don't do stupid things. That's really what Proverbs is going to teach us. It's going to teach us how to make wise decisions and flourish in life. And we've already had the reading, but I want to read you just again the opening verses. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. He was David's son, the king in Israel for 40 years, that you and I would know wisdom and instruction, perceive the words of understanding, receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Proverbs can give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, and a wise man, and that's what we want to be, will increase his learning. Now, what is a proverb? Uh, literally, in Hebrew, it's just a saying. That's all it really is. In fact, there's proverbs that aren't in the Bible, and you know them, right? People will tell you, look before you leap, or it's the early bird that catches the worm, right? I like what Michael Jr. said. The worm got up early, too, and look what happened to him, okay? Um, proverbs, because it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is a saying with a moral attachment to it. In other words, this is God's word. So as we go through it, we're going to see um, certain dominant themes arise. We're going to give a whole week to what Proverbs talks about the power of the tongue or words. Proverbs 16 and 22 says, The heart of the wise makes the mouth prudent, and their lips promote instruction. One who... Um, has a pure heart, and one who speaks with grace uh, will have the king as a friend. And what Proverbs is saying here in these, in these multitude of Proverbs about the tongue is that when wisdom enters your heart, you begin to speak words to people that enrich relationships, build strong marriages, raise godly kids, and it says here that one day even the king will be your friend. Uh, Dale Carnegie, who wrote the book, uh, how to Win Friends and Influence People, 90% of that book is about speaking positive words. There's a whole other subset category, human sexuality. So many verses uh, where it tells us that God has designed uh, sex in such a way that it would give us joy, but within the boundaries of the marriage relationship. Uh, if you could jump over to chapter 2, verse 16. It says, the words of the wise will deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Now watch this. She forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Marriage is a covenant, a contract of companionship. When you said, I do or I will, you made a covenant before God and with your spouse. And then within the boundaries of that is a fruitful sexual relationship. Now watch what happens with this immoral woman. 
Her house leads down to death or to hell. Her path to the dead, none who go there return. It's a dead end. It's a very bad place. So here's what's interesting about Proverbs. In the rest of the Bible, uh, sexual immorality is an affront to a holy God. So in other words, when we are involved in illicit sex, it, it kind of has a breach in our relationship to God. Remember David when he sinned with Bathsheba? He said it was like rotten in his, in his bones for an entire year. It marred his relationship with God. Now, thank God there's grace and that relationship was restored. Uh, Proverbs takes us a whole nother route and says, it's not even good for you to be involved in this kind of activity. All the past lead to hell. This is really a bad way to live life. So Proverbs, as we studied, is going to be more practical than it is theological. Now, verse 1 says they're the Proverbs of Solomon. This is very important. He was not only David's son. He, raised, he reigned in Israel for 40 years. The Lord appeared to him and said, Solomon, grant one request and I will give it to you. Now, he's in his 20s. He said, Lord, I just want wisdom to lead thy people Israel. This, this is a big task. This is a big job. And God said, because you didn't ask for death of your enemies or long life uh, or any of those things, he made Solomon the wisest man who had ever lived. Now, listen to this from 1 Kings chapter 4. God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding. Love this phrase, largeness of heart, like the sand of the seashore, and thus Solomon's wisdom excelled or passed the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the men of Egypt. They're named in verse 31. And in verse 32, it said he spoke 3,000 Proverbs. We have about 1,250 in the book of Proverbs. He also wrote 1,000 songs. Now, watch this in his wisdom. He spoke of trees and horticulture, the cedars of Lebanon, zoology, the animals, the birds, creeping things and fish. In other words, God gave him wisdom in all the natural sciences. So much so that men came from all over to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And this wisdom served Solomon almost all of his reign. In his first 20 years, listen to these accomplishments. He maximizes the borders of Israel from Genesis 15. He takes Israel to the zenith of her power. He builds the temple in Jerusalem, and he writes four books of the Bible. Now, here's what I find puzzling. When you go to Israel, you'll see names of things, and you'll see David everywhere, okay? Even if David never did anything somewhere, his name's on it, right? Mostly everybody's there because of Jesus. Moses is revered, right? Yet you'll never see anything in Israel about Solomon. Even in the Bible, in the New Testament, he's rarely mentioned. There's only several appearances of him, and he never makes it into the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Even when he is mentioned, it's almost like a backhanded compliment. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Consider the lilies of the field. But there, in all their glory, uh, even Solomon wasn't arrayed like these. And I think we know why Solomon kind of disappears from history. Because much is given, much is required. God made Solomon the wisest man that ever lived, and he transgressed all of this wisdom. And he surrounded himself with all the perks of power, opulent palace, wealth, Horses, chariots, he had 600 wives, he left nothing from himself. He became more self-gratifying 
than God gratifying. And let me tell you this, and it's a warning to everyone, including me in this room. The drift away from God is slow. No one walks out of a church and says, I'm not serving God. No one says, I'm not reading my Bible anymore. The drift is slow. And you talk to people today, and I know who they are, and I've read books, etc. People that were once on fire for God who are sitting home today, they'll tell you it was a very slow burn. Hebrews chapter 2 says we should take the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. You know when you're down the shore and you want to read the newspaper and your kids are in the water and you look up, if they're five minutes and they're a block away, they drift it? That can happen to every one of us if we do what Solomon had done. Now, by God's grace, at the end of his life, he writes a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And if you don't understand the Bible, this book will confuse you a little because Solomon says that nothing in life made him happy. He had all the wealth, all the power, all the sexual exploits, and he said it was all vanity, it was all chasing the wind. He said, we're like the animals. We, we go to the same place, and nothing fills the heart. And then he had one shining moment where instead of looking at life under the sun, he looks at life under heaven, and he said, I get it. God has made everything beautiful in his time. And there's seasons of life, and God has made a purpose for every one of us, and he's put eternity within our hearts. And the sum of the matter was fear God and keep his commandments. And so what Solomon is saying is don't do what I do. Learn from the wisdom of the ages. Proverbs is inspirational wisdom from God, ancient wisdom that teaches you and me to thrive and flourish and navigate the multitude of options, decisions, complexities of life in a broken world. God wants us to thrive. He wants us to find our gifts. He wants us to use them. Proverbs is generally just how life works. God designed the universe to work. He designed you and me to work. And Proverbs teaches us how that happens. Here's the question. Is this ancient wisdom relevant in 2018, where everything's about information and technology? And I'm going to let one of the great sociologists of the day answer that question. And uh, this person didn't go to Harvard or Yale, because I think the great sociologists of our day are comedians. I really do. It takes a comedian, Chris Rock said this, Six years to come up with one stand-up routine. They have insight on culture that boggles my mind. So I'm going to read from a comedian I do not recommend, I do not listen to, do not write me emails about this. His name is George Carlin. If you're my age and bad things are coming in your mind, just dismiss them. He wrote this, The Paradox of Our Time. The paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more. We enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense, more knowledge but less judgment, more experts but more problems, more medicine but less wellness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, and laugh too little. These are days of two incomes, but more divorce, fancier houses, but more broken homes. These are the days of quick trips, disposable diapers, throwaway morality, one-night stands, overweight bodies, and pills that do everything from cheer to quiet to kill. 
It's a time when there is much in the show window and nothing in the stock room. A time when technology can bring this letter to you and a time when you can choose to either share this insight or just hit the delete button. We're making a living but not a life. We added years to life but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back but have trouble crossing the street to say hi to a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space but not inner space. We've done larger things but not better things. We cleaned up the air but polluted the soul. We split the atom but not prejudice. We write more, learn less. We plan more, accomplish less. We've learned to rush but not to wait. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies than ever, but we have less communication. So I think we need the wisdom of Proverbs. And I think there is wisdom in these pages that will do us well. And, and let me say this. The goal of Proverbs is happiness. And I say that because when Christians hear happiness, they think something's wrong. They really do. Well, Pastor Bob, I always heard that God's not concerned about our happiness. He's concerned about our holiness. Well, last time I checked, holiness means to be whole. Spirit, soul, and body. To be alive in your skin, to know God and your neighbor. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 1, and it's really the psalm that covers all the psalms, blessed is the man, and it gives the description. The Hebrew word blessed means to be happy. Jesus in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount gave ten conditions for blessedness or happiness. A poverty of spirit, a hungering and thirsting after God. Even you could be uh, maligned and prejudiced and still be happy. The Bible says happy is the man whose God is the Lord. This is the wisdom that comes from above. And look intently at look verse 4. It says, wisdom can give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, and a wise man will increase in learning. Verse 7 says, but fools despise wisdom. Now, this is very important. Um, there is the wisdom of the ages available to us. When Laura read, it said wisdom cries out in the streets. Now, this wisdom comes to us, verse 8, says, my son, hear the instruction of your father and of your mother, uh, my son, my son, my son, long health to you, long days, etc., etc." This wisdom was designed by God to come through the family. Deuteronomy, you would teach your kids on the way. The primary vehicle of wisdom was to learn it in the home. That for 18 years you would learn it in the home, it would be second in a house of worship, and then when you went out into life, this wisdom would carry you. Uh, not the school of hard knocks, not on-the-job training, that's not what Hebrew Jewish literature was all about. It was to be learned and modeled in the home, not the one hour in Journey Kids. More is caught than taught, and your kids are going to learn more from you than they learn from anybody else. But wisdom will come to the simple, but fools despise wisdom. Now, if I went up to somebody today and said they were simple, I'd probably get punched in the mouth, right? If I said you were a fool, I would really get punched in the mouth, because the terms have changed. The person who's a fool has said in his heart there is no God. In other words, this is all bunk, and I'm going to do it my way. Proverbs said there is a way that seems right to a man, and the end is death. Okay? I don't think anybody's foolish in here. Uh, but there might be some simple people in here. Simple has nothing to do with your IQ. In the Hebrew, it literally means young and naive. 
Now, it's okay to be young and naive. We were all there. And I am your advocate if you are young and naive. I love young people. I want you to do well in life. Please listen to me. You will only become simple, the Bible says, when you trade the 90 or 100 years of wisdom of your parents, teachers, and coaches, and people that love you for the wisdom of Johnny down the street who's 18 years old, okay? That is simple. Johnny has all the secrets of the universe, and he's 18 years old, okay? That, the Bible says, will not serve you well. So what does serve us well? Verse 7 unlocks the entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. What in the world is the fear of the Lord? We've heard so many things. Is it a fear that God's going to correct us or he's mad at us? No, 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 no. The fear of the Lord is a reverence and awe. It's an honor. It's, it's, it, it's respect. I played college basketball. My college coach, my high school coach, every coach I ever had, there was a sense of respect and honor. Why? Because there was a sense he had my best interest at hand and he knew what he was doing. Last time I checked, God dialed up the universe. You all know that? And God said, let there be light and he creates this universe. You look at creation, we have this thing called the anthropic principle, even evolutionists know this. Everything on the dials is set perfectly. Everything works the way it should. A.W. Tozer said everything in the universe is good to the degree it conforms to the nature of God and evil if it fails to do so. So when the Bible says creation gives glory to God, it gives glory to God because it functions the way it was created. That's why one day Jesus cursed the fig tree. There's a parable where the husbandman comes and says, cut the fig tree down. Why? Because it's supposed to produce figs. So you and I, just like the universe, give glory to God when we function the way we were designed. We're not animals, guys, even though you're told you came from animals. We don't eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die. That's not how you and I were designed. We were designed for purpose. And God gave us creativity. He told us to fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion. God has high callings for us, unique, unique giftings for each and every one of us. Proverbs 22.4 says, the humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor in life. Uh, Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one can rest content, untouched by trouble. Proverbs 15.33 says, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. Proverbs 15.16 says, better a life with the fear of the Lord than great wealth and turmoil. Tozer said in the divine conquest, the spiritual giants of old were those who at some times became acutely conscious of the presence of God and maintained that consciousness for the rest of their lives. The first encounter may have been one of terror as when Abraham saw darkness or when Moses saw the burning bush and looked upon the face of God, but usually this fear lost its content of terror and changed after a while to delightsome awe to level off finally in a reverent sense of complete nearness to God. That's exactly where we're going. That's exactly what following Jesus is. To understand that if God created the universe, he knows exactly what's going on in our lives. Now the Bible's not saying that there's not wisdom outside of scripture. There are great minds 
outside of Christianity, people that don't serve God, even atheists, what it's saying is you'll never understand anything truly unless you have a reverence for the God who created all truth and all wisdom. You're going to become cynical like Solomon, or you'll come to all the wrong conclusions. And yet somebody like Peter, a fisherman, told us in 2 Peter how to split the atom, how the, the earth's going to go away like a scroll. The fear of the Lord is to open up understanding. There's one more attribute to the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, perverse speech, Proverbs 6, 16, we'll spend a whole week on this, says there's six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination to him. Pride, a perverse tongue, murder, feet are swift to evil, hearts that devise wicked plans, a lying tongue, he who sows discord among the brethren. See, you begin to understand the ways of God when you love what God loves and you hate what he hates. By the way, there's a little marriage counseling in there. I always tell guys this. You wanna have a great marriage? Love what your wife loves. And she probably loves her mom, and so should you. And it's Mother's Day, and some of you guys should call your mother-in-law and wish her happy Mother's Day. That's great marital advice, okay? It's free, and it's good, all right? But the fear of the Lord is to hate what God hates. How many of us loved evil, terrible things, and now we look at it and we hate it? We're like, how did we ever do it? That's because the spirit of God and the spirit of wisdom is in us. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of life. It's like you would build a house. Jesus said you're either going to build your house on a rock or you're going to build it on sand. The psalmist said he who builds his house labors in vain if the Lord isn't the foundation. He's a very unwise man. And the only way you're going to tell is when the storms of life come. There are consequences to our choices in life. And our life is a series of choices. If you don't have the foundation and the character of wisdom, you're going to make bad choices. You think about the immoral woman in chapter 2. It tells us that God will deliver us from her. All her ways lead to death, all her paths to the dead. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I'm still waiting for someone to come to me and say, Pastor Bob, you're never going to believe it. I just had a three-year affair. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. My kids are thriving. I'm doing better at my job. Life is wonderful because of this affair. Still waiting for that day. No, instead I looked at cracked faces and broken families because of one bad choice. And all the while, a good, good father is saying, drink water from your own sister." Enjoy your wife all the days of your life. God's saying, I design life this way, and in God's way, marriage is the only way everybody wins. Not everybody gets what they want. The man wins, the wife wins, the kids win. Everybody wins, nobody gets everything they want. And what we have to say is, God, your ways are better than my ways. There is a way that seems right to a man, and it only will bring death. Proverbs chapter five, uh, 1, verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the word of the wise and their riddles. Now, that's not saying you're going to find deep esoteric knowledge. What it's saying is life is complex. And there's going to be a series of choices where you can't go to the Bible and make a decision. So when people ask me about decision-making, 
All I can tell them is what the Bible says and what I try to do, and I don't get it right all the time. Number one, if it's clear in the Bible that it's easy, you just do what the Bible says. After that, you look for trusted advisors. People in your sphere of influence who are godly and have wisdom, who have scripture steeped in them that can help you along the way. I am so proud of my children at forks in the road in their lives that they not only sought our counsel, but people that were at least 20 years older than they. People in this church and colleagues that I have around the country, they picked up the phone and called. I am so proud of them. That's wisdom. What's past pain and experience teach you? Number three. And finally, what is the Spirit speaking? God has given you the eyes of faith, the ears of faith, to understand riddles. What this means is that Proverbs will make you wise so you can diagnose problems, discern what's going on, and with the depth of your character, make wise choices. You could look at something where there could only look like two or three solutions and God could give you 10. You could turn something on its head because of godly wisdom and figure it out. And it's something we're all going to have to do at some time. If there are people you respect, live or celebrities, people that you think are really living life well, do you know why? They had the skill for living life. The word wisdom here in Proverbs 1 is hokma, H-O-E-I-M-K-A. It's a Hebrew word that's also used for the skill of cutting wood or stone. There is a skill to living life. And behind every successful person, if you pull the curtain open, you will see things you never have understood before. Here's our tendency. Oh, Joe and Mary have it made on the other side of the aisle. Everything works out for them. He's successful. She's successful. They look like this or that. And wow, God just blessed them. No, that's not true. Everybody has pain and suffering. No one escapes it. But behind every successful person is a series of disciplines and habits that have got them to where they are today. Next week, I'm going to talk about your career. My title is Loving Mondays. If you don't love Mondays, I'll teach you to love Mondays. If you love Mondays, you'll love them even more. God wants you to thrive in your career. I'll talk a lot about it. Proverbs has a lot to say about it. But people that are successful in their career have worked long and hard, made right choices. J.J. Reddick plays for the 76ers. He's the best shooter on the team. He's one of the best college shooters ever. Google his regimen. And what made him a great shooter? It will boggle your mind. It's the same thing in life. Successful people have very strong habits. To me, the fear of the Lord can be seen in one way, very particular, obedience. Obedience is the outward evidence that the fear of the Lord is really in our lives. You look all through Hebrews 11, all through the great men and women of the Bible, they obey God instantly, They obeyed him when it didn't make sense. They obeyed him when it hurt. They obeyed him even if they didn't see the benefits and they obeyed him to the completion and Job would be the classical example. When Monica and I became Christians, we were young, we got married young, we had kids young, we were flat dead broke. And we were broke for a long time. We lived in apartments for six years. We lived in a twin. I mean, we were, I mean, $8, $10 in a checkbook is about what it looked like for a long, long time. And yet, when I became a Christian, I learned about giving. And I'm so glad I did at the church I was at because it didn't say give when you had the money. Like, wait till you're my age now and then start to give. 
it taught me about giving just because God is good and because God wanted to be a part of my life. And I got to tell you, we still gave and we saw things that will take me to my grave about the faithfulness of God. I could tell you stories until the cows come home, every piece of furniture, every clothing on our kids, cars, gifts. I wasn't even in ministry. Things happen that I will treasure for the rest of my life because though I couldn't see it or sense it, I believed it. I believe God was faithful. I believe that's the way life worked in the kingdom. And God has proven that out. No one could have told Diedrich Bonhoeffer when he was in the United States to stay here and not go to Germany where he would surely die. No one could tell him that. And that's exactly what he did. He went back to Germany and died a martyr's death. Why? Because he was led by the Spirit of God and he obeyed. The next seven weeks, we're going to turn to this book and it's going to give us the skills for navigating life and making wise decisions. But my heart in this series isn't that you won't do stupid things, because you will. We all still will. I'm not worried that you're not going to do stupid things or crash vans into cars. That stuff can all be repaired. I'm afraid you're going to wreck your one and only life. I'm afraid you're going to make a decision that's going to wreck your future. My prayer is that you're going to make wise decisions, not bad ones. I don't want you to waste the vast potential God has invested in you and you only just because of temporal pleasure and the advertising of this world, which is infused by Satan, I believe. The rich young ruler had it all going on. He made a really poor decision. He was going to be the 13th disciple. And because of material things, he walked away. That's an unwise decision. He did not fear the Lord. We just finished FPU, Financial Peace University, part of our Calvary campus. We've taken over 500 people through that class in the last six or seven years. We took 60 people through this time. 60 people in this class had a combined $1 million in debt. These are Christians. Our church. Same statistics every time. Usually mirrors the world. We got to do better. Bible has a lot to say. Proverbs has a lot to say about money. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about career. We're going to talk about sex. Where else would you talk about sex but in church? God invented it. Amen? Any amens out there? God invented it. Yeah, last time I looked. But more than anything, I want you to see the essence of wisdom. The essence of wisdom is Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Your homework is read Proverbs 8. It's the personification of wisdom. I believe it's Jesus. Jesus said he was on every page of the Old Testament. I think it's him. I think it's there. And, and when Jesus said a greater than Solomon is here, think about what he said. Solomon was a king, but so was Jesus. But he didn't live in a palace. He didn't have all the accoutrements of, of royalty and such. But when he died on a cross, what sign do you think they put there? King of the Jews. King of all the Jews. Wow. Solomon had chariots and horses and led a great army. Jesus had no army, but he said, I could call 12 legions of angels right now. Wow. Son of man had nowhere to lay his head, no palace, born in a manger, yet he's preparing mansions for you and me. A greater than Solomon has come. The Jewish people would read Proverbs. They'd put it into practice. It helped them flourish wherever they would go. 
But they were looking through a glass dimly. There was a veil on their heart. Why? Because they couldn't see Jesus, the personification of wisdom. And though Solomon wrote four books of the Bible, one day it said the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus superseded the wisdom of anybody who would ever come. And he came to make you and I wise. And I want to give you a final reason why we're studying Proverbs. And please, if you delete this, you'll miss everything I've said. We are not learning Proverbs so we become millionaires and drive Mercedes, okay? This is what Paul would write to the Colossians. He said, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And then he says, beware, that means watch out, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Here's why. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, and you are complete in him who is the head and power of all. I said last week, there's nothing you need to add to Jesus. There is no worldly wisdom. All truth is God's truth. Paul warned the Corinthians that not only could they be cheated, but they could deceive themselves. He said, let no one deceive himself. If anyone amongst you seems to be wise in this age, become a fool. That you may become wise, for it's written that the God catches the, the wisdom of this world in its foolishness, and he catches the wise in their craftiness. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, they're futile. Therefore, let him who boasts, boast in this, that you know God. We don't need philosophy. We don't need all the vain teachings of the world. We don't need everything they're teaching in Harvard and Yale. We have this power in earthen vessels, the word of God to make us wise, to help us navigate life so that we can finish and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servants. You know what I found in my study of Proverbs this week? It was an eye-opener. No one reads Proverbs. That's not me. I, I, that was a poll. They polled evangelical Christians and found out Proverbs was the least read book of the Bible. And I thought, well, that makes no sense. You know, we're always told to read Proverbs, and if you have a one-year Bible, there's Proverbs in it. And then I figured out why, because when you go there, it's talking about interest and marriage, and there's no thought or theme, supposedly. I'll kind of help you with that next week. Um, so we probably jump around here and there and almost never read a book that promises length of days, wealth, and a relationship with God. 